0: it's good to be with you today. Uh, My name is Nathan. I get to be one of the pastors here. If you would, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. Uh, I want you to especially be welcome today if this is your first time with us or if you're visiting with family or friends. We've prayed for this time. We've prayed for this gathering that as we exalt the name of Jesus, as we lift him up, that he would draw our hearts nearer and nearer to himself. So that's our hope for this time. We're going to lift up who he is and what he how he's worked and how he's working presently. And I pray that that would be a comfort for us today. Now, if you are new to this room or or you haven't given us your information, we'd love to hear who you are. You can fill out uh, a card in the seat back in front of you. You can drop it in the give boxes on the right and the left of the doors on your way out. And we promise to contact you in a respectful way. Now, last week we started a new sermon series that we're calling Abide. Um, and, and throughout these chapters, between John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, it's this last moment where Jesus is physically present with His disciples. And it has its culmination in Jesus teaching them that apart from Him, apart from His Spirit, there's nothing good that can happen. That Jesus had both lived this example that over and over He had told the disciples that He could do nothing unless the Father showed Him what to do. That He could do nothing outside of the Father's power being demonstrated in Him. And He continues to explain that the way that He had lived in this relationship with the Trinity was going to be made manifest in the life of everyone who would believe. In the same way that he had lived out this example, that he's not only inviting us to mimic him, but to embody this same demonstration of God's power. And now we're going to see this truth that he's being made manifest uh, and will plan to do this through his believers in this passage as well, starting in chapter John uh, uh, 14 of, of John, verse 1. So let's start reading in verse 1 of John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on My own authority, but the Father who dwells in Me does His works. Believe Me that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this Word, this teaching from Scripture, Father, would be illuminating to our hearts and our minds. For all the ways that you would speak into this circumstance that's accounted for here, that you would say to them, let not your hearts be troubled. I pray that you'd speak those same words over us today. We have many questions about the future. We have many ways that we wonder if you'll be there with us and if you'll be enough and if you indeed have prepared the way before us. And so we bring those questions to you and ask God for you to resolve in your response in our own hearts that we would be convinced that we would believe and that it would bring us great comfort in our day. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does anybody here remember the family trips that used to go on without cell phones? And the moment that you would be wondering where the rest of your family was at? One of my earliest memories was at Disney World, where i on a family trip after a very long day, and at some point we had separated throughout the day, and we're waiting at the end of a very tiring day of lots of dreams coming true and adventures happening, and we're wondering where the other part of our family had gone. Nowadays, it only happens when your cell phone is dead, and if you're me, that happens very often because you use it throughout the day. And so in this moment... Where Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's saying, Hey, there's a point coming where I'm not going to be physically with you. And they're all wondering where is the rendezvous point, okay? Where are we going to meet up so that we don't have to be anxious about the future? And Jesus begins to explain to them. Now, he's already told them two times in the previous chapter, there's a place that I'm going that you're not going to come with me. Look at this verse in, in 1333. Little, little children, yet in a little while I'm going with you, you'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Again, in verse 36, he says this, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. In other words, he's giving his last address to the disciples. he's His last teaching in person to the disciples and his last hours that he's going to be physically present before his suffering and resurrection. And he's saying to them, listen, I'm going to a place that you can't come with me. And afterwards, you're going to be with me. Now, this would naturally stir up some anxiety for these disciples. They're listening to Jesus. They're beginning to comprehend. And they might be beginning to panic. And in the midst of this moment, Jesus addresses them and says, there's a reason, yes, for your heart to be troubled, but don't let it be troubled. Now, have you guys ever looked at the horizon and felt like it was so unknown to you? That your future was so unknown to you that you were just consumed with anxiety? Have you ever been there like where you're looking at the future and thinking, I have no idea what this is going to hold? Now, there's potential questions that these disciples are having, and there's definitely answers to these questions that Jesus has for his disciples in this teaching, okay? There's questions that I think every troubled person in the room, every person who deals with anxiety on a more than regular basis, probably wrestles with, and I believe Jesus is answering them in the context of him answering them for this specific way to the disciples. And so I want to give you these questions that most of us are wrestling with. Three questions for each person whose heart would be troubled. Number one, what does the future hold? All of us are asking that question. We're wondering, what's over the horizon? How will we deal with it? What can we anticipate? And for mothers in the room, you especially feel this for the weight of your kids, for raising them. You're wondering, how will it play out? And then whatever that future holds, you're asking the question, how can we know the way in it? How are we going to know the way to navigate it? What wisdom do you have for us, God, so that we can know the play-by-play and how we're going to participate in this future? And then lastly, we're going to wonder, and we probably are wondering today, are we going to have what we need so that, that future is secured? Do we have everything we need and is it enough? Now, these three questions are being answered about a bigger question for the disciples. And that big question was this How can we be with God? Now, Jesus had physically manifested the presence of God with them for the last three years. And now, on this last night, he's beginning to tell them things so that they're wondering How can we be reconciled to you, Jesus? How can we be with the Father? And that is the ultimate question. That's the spiritual question for everyone in this room. Can we be made right with God? Is there a way to be reconciled to the Father? Now, if you have not answered, if you have not asked that question, I'm going to ask that question of you today. Is there a way that you found to be reconciled to God? It is the most important question that we can answer or ask. So, when we think about the future, when we think about how we're going to know the way to the future, when we think about what we're going to need for the future, in all of those places, the ultimate question that needs to be answered is how will we be reconciled to God? How can we be with Him? And in this conversation about who Jesus is and what comfort He would offer them in this moment, He commands for them to not allow their hearts to be troubled, but to believe to hope, to trust that Jesus, that seeing him, beholding him, having him is enough for all of those questions. And Jesus paints a picture first of their future. He gives them himself as the guide and he assures them that seeing him is enough for them. So those three things, I want to walk through just how we observe them in this passage. Number one, Jesus secures our future. Now, he's saying it specifically to them about this question of being reconciled to God. He says to them, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a couple of things I want to observe about this command. First of all, he's suggesting that there's some sense of agency that the disciples would have as He parts with them physically, that there's some way in which their hearts could run towards anxiety. There's some agency that they have, some will that they have to exercise in order that their hearts would not completely go away. Don't let your anxieties run away with you. The scriptures regularly command that we would take our thoughts captive and that we'd bring them under the authority of who God is and what he's declared about the world. And in this place, Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So what should they do? They've already talked about why their hearts would be troubled, right? There's a reason enough for them to begin to wonder and say, okay, how is this going to affect us in the future? There's a reason for them to be troubled. And Jesus is saying, in the midst of that reason, believe in God and then apply that belief to me. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He's beginning to explain that he's equal with the Father. Equal in power and authority. And if you believe in God, you need to adhere that belief also in Jesus. And then he begins to describe the future that he secured for them. What does he describe? Look at it. It says, I've got many rooms. There's many places to rest. He's prepared it for them. It exists already, but He's preparing the way for them to be in the Father's house. He's going there. He's coming again. And He promises that He's going to take you to Himself. That's what He says to the disciples. So that they can be with Him. Now, this must have sounded strange to the disciples, okay? They've been walking around for three years, and the way that anyone who would come after Jesus, Jesus would have described his earthly ministry like this. Okay, if you want to follow me, the foxes have holes, birds of air, the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's Luke chapter 9, 58. He also would have said the exact same words in the Gospel of Matthew. They both would account for this. So people that wanted to follow Jesus, he regularly would have told them, this is going to be uncomfortable for you, okay? There's not going to be a place to lay down. If you're going to follow me, it's going to be hard. And now, for this same group of people, he's saying, hey, there's a place where we're heading. Where I'm preparing a place for you, and there's plenty of rooms for you. And what does this mean? What's his expectation? His expectation is that they would begin to see that he's securing the future for them. that He's preparing a way for them to be in this place where God has a place for them. Just as Jesus died to reconcile us to God, he's painting a picture here that what reconciliation would look like would be him bringing us to himself. Now, this is a desire for every true disciple to be reconciled to God. Every true disciple longs to be with God. That's one of the identifying factors for us. If you're wondering, what does it look like for us to know that we belong to Jesus? You have a desire to be with Jesus. They have this future that they're setting their anticipation towards where the Holy Spirit is sent and they're united to Christ. Now, this... Uh, would have been fulfilled as the Holy Spirit comes and is with them. And he's going to describe that in the rest of this chapter. But it's also a picture of their future in heaven, both being presented right here. Jesus is not only speaking about the ways that he's going to be with them when he's physically no longer seen, but he's also presenting this way in which they're going to be seeing him face to face in the future. He's giving us this glimpse of heaven. And the gift of heaven is that God will be there. What will it be like? Look, God is going to make all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more suffering. All of the greater enjoyment of the things that we've enjoyed here on earth are going to be completely enjoyed in the new heavens and new earth. The taste like we've never had. Sights like we've never seen. Beauty and beholding like you cannot possibly imagine. Imagine. But one of the things that is most important that we understand about this future for everyone that believes is that God himself will be there and he's the main event. He's the attraction, okay? He's going to make everything right. All of the broken things will be made new. But he's also saying in this future, you get to be with God and that's the ultimate prize of it, okay? Okay. Now, I don't want to diminish all of the realities of the ways that we long for heaven. But I want to make sure that we understand that the principle here is that, that Jesus is preparing a way for them to be reconciled to God himself, to be present with Jesus. Now, now, perhaps one of the most overquoted um, statements from John Piper about heaven is this. It's going to be on the screen, and it's still important that we consider it because it's an important question for us. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, with all the food you ever liked, with all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? It's a really important question. Because ultimately what God is offering to us in this uh, redemption and our future and preparing a way is for us to be with him. That's what he's offering. He's offering us himself. And Jesus secures this. And he ends this description of him securing their future with this statement. And where I'm going, you know the way to where I'm going. And suddenly, you've got a raised hand. Someone in the crowd is courageous enough to say, I'm not the only person confused about this. Old Thomas, once again, he's saying, hey, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. I need to know, what does this mean? Verse 6, look at it. It says this, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, he's asking the question, Thomas asked the question, how are we supposed to know the way? We've never been there before. We don't have a map to this place. We've been lots of places with you, Jesus. But the place that you're describing, I'm not sure we're familiar enough for us to to map it out and get there. And Jesus says, no, you're looking for a plan. You're looking for a principle. You're looking for a map. But I personally am the way. Thomas is looking for some response to this amazing information that Jesus has prepared a place for them. And he's he's asking a question that really does lead to further clarity. Now, for those of you in this room that are wondering if your questions are welcome in this space, I just want to affirm you they're welcome. In fact, if Thomas hadn't doubted enough or been skeptical enough, this is the way by which Jesus explains one of the most clear explanations of who he is his power and the way that he works. Because this guy said, wait a minute, I don't understand, okay? So he raises his hand, says this, and Jesus says, I'm the way. This question that leads to further clarity, it begin, he begins by explaining, I'm the only way that you're going to get to your future, okay? This future that you have in the presence of God and the wholeness of all that God has made you for, the only way that you get to this is through me. That's what Jesus is saying. And in so many situations, we long to have some principle or plan or map so that we can get to the future that we desire. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not giving you a plan. I'm giving you myself. And he offers himself once again to Thomas and says, I'm the only way that you're going to get there. There's no greater need that we have than to be reconciled to God and Jesus is saying I'm the way that you can be. He's prepared it for us. For the questions of our future, he invites us to look to him not only as the pattern of principle but as the person who invites us to walk with him. He's the way. He didn't come to blaze the trail or to light the path or to give the map. He embraced the loss, the suffering of the cross and invites us to follow his pattern. Um, Not as if we could pay the same penalties that he has for sins, but in a way that only he could do. He invites us to see him as the way. And then he says, I'm the truth. Now listen, there's a lot of intellectual questions about God and Jesus and the faith. About how these things are going to unfold. There's lots of ways that we would love to research Do you know people like this that everywhere they go, they've researched every restaurant they're going to eat at. They know exactly the path they're going to take all around them. They've studied the plan. And there's lots of people who approach the faith in the same way. They want to gather up as much information as they possibly can. And it's a delight to learn about these things, right? But Jesus is saying, I actually am the person who is the truth. Jesus invites you not only to learn about Him, but to learn Him, the person. He invites us to look to Him in order for Him to illuminate who He is and how we would respond to Him. He declares in this situation and in all the other declarations that they're all an arrow that points to Him. Every true thing that you've ever heard is pointing to the truth of who He is. And the last thing He says is that I'm the life the only uncreated life, the one who was before there was time, the one who took on flesh to dwell among us, the firstborn of all creation is saying, I'm the one who lives. I'm the life. And now he's knowing that in less than a day, he's going to suffer. He's going to be laid down into a tomb. And there's going to be a way in which Jesus is expressing faith when he says, I'm the life. And he knows that the people receiving this word are going to have to look at his dead body taken off of a tree and laid into a tomb and believe that this is true about him. He declares this into the midst of their troubles that they don't even know that they're about to have. And it must require great faith both for Him to say it to them and for them to receive this as true. No one comes to the Father except through Me. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And then He ends with this exclusivity statement. No one. There's no other way that you're going to be reconciled to God. Now, if you are in this room and you believe Jesus is a good teacher, and he's one of many ways to God, there is no way to pay attention to what he says about himself in the Gospels and still believe he's one of many options. Jesus says, I'm the only way there is. This is it. This is the only way that you can be reconciled to God. In Acts chapter 4, Peter's preaching and he declares this, there's salvation and no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, there's no other way to be reconciled to God. There's no other way to get to that future that God has secured for us in heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's not by works lest any man should boast. It's not by intellectual assent. It's not by figuring out the way to navigate your life. It's not by believing uh, that you can do enough things so that you have a healthy life. Jesus is saying over all of those statements, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and there's no other way to be reconciled to the Father except through me. Now Jesus says in this moment, there's no way at all. And if you would have known who I am, then you would know the Father. And again, this puzzled look returns to the disciples. They begin to look around each other, I would suppose. And one of them courageously says, uh, Excuse me, Jesus? Philip, verse 8. He said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and then it'll be enough for me, for us. In other words, um, if there's a way that you could just show us a little bit more than we see in right now in this moment, Then all of the ways that we're tempted to be troubled. I know you're telling us not to be troubled, Jesus. But the ways that our hearts would naturally be inclined to be a little bit anxious about the future. Maybe if you could just show us the Father himself, instead of saying you're just this way, or or the truth, of life. Maybe if you could just show us a little more evidence, then that would be enough for us. And Jesus responds by saying, if you've looked at me, You've looked at the Father. In other words, I'm enough. You're looking at what you're asking to see. You're seeing it for yourself right now in this moment. Now, for those of us in this room, I know that there's tons of moments that we've considered. Is Jesus going to be enough for me? Is it enough? What He's already done. What He's already declared. What He's already accomplished for us. Is it enough? And Jesus answers this question, Philip's question of, hey, if you would just show us this, then maybe that'd be enough. Now, Philip's request is not a bad request. Now, his ignorance about what he's asking, Jesus responds to with a rebuke. But listen, it's a good thing that we would want to see the Father. In fact, Moses cried out, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see the evidence that you're real. And throughout the book of John, John is over and over explaining that people are coming to Jesus and they're asking to see something glorious. And Jesus is saying, here it is. Look at me. In fact, in John chapter one, verse 14, he said, we all have beheld his what? His glory. glory. Glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. In other words, throughout this whole gospel, John is explaining that every time you were able to look at Jesus, you were seeing in first person eyewitness account the glory of God Himself. And here, Philip asked the question that most of us would ask if we had the courage Could you show us a little bit more, Jesus? Could you just give us a little bit more? so that then we would know exactly what you're talking about, what you're describing. Could you just give us a glimpse of something? We know that we'd be convinced if you just gave us this. Only we have a little more evidence. And for those that I know would be in this room and in my own heart wondering if you have faith enough or if Jesus is enough to settle your own questions, Philip had walked with Jesus, talked with him, hearing him audibly explain this. And Jesus says, You've been with me for this long, and you can't see it? Now, if this guy, who's this close to Jesus, is struggling with this, I would anticipate that in this room, there's a lot of people who are also asking the same kind of questions. If only you would give us this, then it would be enough. And Jesus responds by saying, Look, every time that I've spoken these words with authority, they came from the Father. Every authority I've had to speak the words that you've heard over the last three years, they came with gumption and authority because I am of the Father and He's in me and I'm in Him. And He not only described His authority in His words, but also the power in His works. He says, look, if you don't believe that I'm enough, then just consider the works that I've done. I brought Lazarus back from the grave. I've done all these miracles. You've seen miraculous power displayed in my life. And because of that, Let that be enough. God the Father was producing these words and works through God the Son. He's demonstrating the words and works. And then He begins to describe with the latter part of this passage that God the Spirit is going to continue to display the same kind of authority, the same kind of power through everyone who believes. And you ask, it's going to happen. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, there's a way in which you're going to see the same kind of authority and power being demonstrated through what? Through the life of everyone who believes. Through the collection of the body of Christ. We, us, as believers... We would be this demonstration, this ongoing demonstration that his authority and his power is still working, that we would pray and we would see him release great power through all who would believe, that we would ask in faith and that God would work in power, that the God of the universe would look both authoritative and powerful through the lives of those who believe. That's our destiny as a church. That's our destiny as believers, that God would demonstrate his glory through us. And all these things he spoke to his disciples on the night of his arrest. He's moving towards his suffering. All these things would require so much faith over the next three to four days. Yes, they would require Absolutely. But even after the resurrection, these truths would require great faith. Jesus was giving them a description of the rendezvous point, okay? He's describing this is what it's going to be like. I had a friend uh, through, you know, like younger middle school, and and, uh, we weren't friends past eighth grade, but we were best of friends, okay, before that. And we would describe what we were going to do if something bad ever happened, like the big one, you know, a great earthquake. If all the fuel and food were gone, where are we going to meet up? so that we can be buddies and survive, okay? We had this bridge that we, we would go to, and we're like, hey, if anything ever happens, here's where we meet up. We had like this plan, okay? Nothing ever happened. We were, we were like the making of good preppers at that beginning, apocalyptic preppers. Nothing ever happened. We weren't friends past the eighth grade, but all of us are looking for the same kind of thing, a rendezvous point. where We can say, hey, if everything bad that we've ever hoped wouldn't happen, happens to us, where are we going to meet up? How are we going to be safe? How are we going to be secure? And in this moment where Jesus is looking at his disciples, he's describing to them where they're going to meet, how it's going to be and how they're going to get there. And in all the ways that they brought their question saying, "Hey, wait, 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 we've never been to the place that you're describing. How are we going to get there? He's saying, it's me. I'm the way. He didn't give them principles or a map. He said, I'm giving you myself. The way that you get there isn't by mapping out your life. By following me. And these truths that Jesus gave to his disciples are the same for us today in the midst of all of your greatest anxiety and fears. Now, they're probably very distinct from this moment, okay? This is a unique moment. But the promise is still the same, that Jesus Christ has secured the way, that he is the way, and he's enough for whatever lies ahead of you. Whatever it is that's over the horizon that you cannot anticipate, that you dread, and all of those questions The answer is himself. And so what would make this principle true? He urges them over and over through this passage and the ones to come to just believe. Believe. So I want to ask you this question. Do you believe? Jesus is offering all who believe something better. Better than a map. Better than a revelation. Better than some evidence of power. He's offering himself to everyone who would believe. There's thousands of reasons for us to be worried in this moment. Scared of the future. Wondering if Jesus will be there, if he'll guide us, and if he's going to provide what we need so that we can walk through it. So with these troubled minds, we're all asking those questions. What does the future hold? How am I going to get to it? Will I have enough of what I need? And Jesus speaks to those questions in a similar way. I've secured a future for you. I'm the way to this future. I'm the one. We wonder if he's really enough. And if you could just show us something more, Jesus. And he's over and over responding. I'm already enough. So for whatever you're fearing today, I want to ask the question that Jesus commands in this passage. Do you believe those things? Do you believe it? Because I'd love to introduce you to him. If you're struggling with faith today, I'd love to talk to you about it love to introduce you to this Christ that we're talking about today. If you're wrestling with belief, or you know that he is the way, the truth, the life, but it feels very distant from your present reality, he's inviting you to see him in the here and now, to realize and recognize that he's enough right now. and He's given you everything you need for life and godliness as you trust in him. Let's pray to that end. Father, I thank you for these, your words. And I pray for those that are in this room that feel uh, more skepticism than hope about the future. Father, I pray that you would show us your presence, that you'd reveal to us your nearness, that you'd speak over our troubled minds and hearts, that we would have great hope of the future, not look to you for a plan, but for yourself. Father, I pray that you'd offer that to us today and that for those that are are very close to belief, I pray that you'd work in a miraculous way today, that you'd cause doubting skeptics to believe. For those that already believe but have forgotten, I pray that you'd comfort them, that you'd renew their faith, you'd renew their minds, and that we would rejoice once again in this truth. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.